come and burn bright. Amen. Well, good evening. Thank you guys for allowing me to be here. Thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to preach. Uh, don't take it lightly. I would like to ask you, if you could, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9. I'll be in Luke chapter 9. I'm going to pop this thing open. And I bet you there is this thing on? Are they coming up here? And if I could, yeah, can we get, does anyone, no one got a, did everyone get a handout? All right. Lift your hand up if you didn't get a handout. We'll be in Luke chapter 9. Today, I'm going to be very simple, and we're going to talk about living on mission, living on mission. Um, before we do that, let's just say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for all that you're doing in my life, Lord God. I thank you for how you saved me. I thank you for what you've given in my life, Lord God, everything from my mom and my dad to my wife and my kids and, Lord God, the family and the friends that you've given me. Thank you for this wonderful church here at Eastside, Lord God. Thank you for all your blessings. Lord God, help me to realize that the reason why you bless us, the reason why you give us much is because you're expecting us to do something with it. And so, Lord God, I ask you would use that in my life, and, Lord God, I ask you would speak that to these people that are here. Lord God, help us to live a life on mission. Help us to live to your honor and your glory. And Lord God, we just want to say thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 9. I don't know if that's up there. I got this. Okay. Is this thing working? I'm going to click it on. Did I do something wrong? I'm good. Let's click. All right. I'm going to use this. Life on mission. Long time ago, there was a man named William Carey. And he said this. He said, if the biographer gives me credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond this is too much, will be too much. I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. Well, Mr. William Carey, as he was plotting, he did this. He translated the complete Bible into six different languages and portions in 29 other different languages. Yet he never reached the equivalent of a high school or a college education or degree. His work was so impressive that in 1807, Mr. Carey was conferred the Doctor of Divinity, a degree on him by the University of Brown. Carey was married three times. He baptized all three wives. He buried two of them. At the age of 12, Mr. Carey taught himself Latin, and later on he mastered Greek, Hebrew, French, Dutch, and then literally dozens of languages and dialects there from India. Him and the, the, the trio that he had, they saw over 800 converts come to Christ. He started a Bible college that's still in existence today. That was back in the late 1700s. And he lived in a place, get this, where the expectancy of an Englishman in the late 1700s was six months. Mr. Carey made it 41 years without a furlough. To say that he was a plotter, I think that's a little understatement. But to say that man lived his life on mission, I think we all can agree that Mr. Carey lived his life on a mission. But you know who else lived his life on his mission? On a mission? We'll find that in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. And we're going to read a story that we see in the Gospel of Luke. The scripture goes like this. 
And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he, meaning Jesus, he steadfastly set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went out, and they entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Verse 54, And when his, that means Jesus, when Jesus' disciples, when Jesus' disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we should command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he, he Jesus, he, returned, he, he, he turned and he rebuked them. Listen to his rebuke. I love this type of rebuke. I wish my dad would have rebuked me like this. Ye know not what manner of spirit you are of. Does that sound like a rebuke to me? Well, that was Jesus' rebuke. You don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. This is the story of Jesus. And if there's ever a man that's ever stepped foot on this earth that lived a life on mission, it was Jesus Christ, was it not? He had a purpose in his life. He had a goal. And can I ask you, did he ever accomplish that goal? Oh yeah, he did, didn't he? He did it pretty good, right? Did anything ever uh, uh, cause him to, 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 to get off track? Was there anything that ever caused him from stop doing what God put him here on this earth to do? No. This man, who we call Lord, who He is the Son of God, this man lived a life based on a mission. Can I ask you, church, do you have a mission? Have you been given something from God that He has entrusted you with that He wants you to fulfill? Is there something out there that God maybe has written down and spoken and then written down and maybe preserved that He wants His church to do? Do you think there's a mission out there for you guys to do? The question is, is this, tonight, will you live life on a mission? And what does it take to live a life on mission? Well, in this passage we see four things. I'm going to pull out four things from this passage that I see from the Scripture. Number one, and you got that little paper there, and I hope you can use it, you can write it down, you can throw it away, whatever you want to, okay? I'm going to give you four takes, okay? First one is this, whenever you live for Jesus and you live a life on mission, it takes commitment. It takes commitment. Look what the Scripture says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. The Scripture says this, And it came to pass, when the time was come that He should be received up, that's talking about Jesus, that He what? What was those words? He what? Set His face to go to Jerusalem. It's recorded that Jesus set His face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. What does that mean? What is that term used for? Why did, why did Luke write that down? Well, he wanted us to know something about this story. He wanted us to know something about Jesus. That Jesus, get this, was committed to do a task. He was committed to see something through. And what was that thing that he was going to see through? We all know the story, right? What was Jesus going to? What was he doing? Anybody know? Did that again? What was that? It was Calvary, was it not? He's going to Jerusalem that he should be what? Received up. This is talking about his crucifixion. Now, why did Jesus die? It was for my sins. It was for your sins. It was for the sins of the whole world, was it not? He loved the world 
So much God did that He gave His only begotten Son, right? And Jesus was so committed that He was going to go to a town to die. Now, what does it take to have commitment? What does it take to have commitment? Well, in this verse we see three things, three things real quick. And I want to show you. First thing is this. How can you become a more committed person? A committed person is a person that understands time. Look what the Scripture says in John chapter 7, verse 6. When you go through the Scriptures and you see Jesus, Jesus said unto them, He says, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. He goes down and jumps down to verse number 8. He says this. He says this. Go ye up to this feast. I go not up to this feast, for my time is not yet come. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 18, He said, Go into the city... Uh, such a man, and say unto him, The Master saith, My time is at hand. What is Jesus stating in these verses? These verses are just stories from the life of Christ. But it, what it's stating is this. When Jesus was here on this earth, Jesus knew exactly where He was supposed to be, and He knew exactly what He was supposed to be doing in that time. So the question is this. If I'm going to live a life of, of on mission, if I'm going to be a man that's, that's, that has a goal, that's going to reach that goal, if I'm going to be a church that has a goal, that reaches that goal, how in the world are we going to attain that? Well, the thing is this, it takes committed people. And you say, how can I become a more committed person? Well, it's this, do you understand the time? Do you understand the time? Jesus knew in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, I want to see if I got that verse up there, Look at 951. And it came to pass, get this, when the time was come, that's when Jesus steadfastly looked. He set His face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus understood His life, His purpose, and that He had a time and it was at hand. Can I ask you, church, do you understand the time? You know the psalmist tells us that we are supposed to Ask God to teach us to number our days. You know that, right? James, when he talks to those believers there that's been spread abroad, he tells us that our life is like a what? It's vapor. It's gone, is it not? Man, I've got three beautiful daughters right here. And man, you know what makes me feel old? As I look at them and I'm like, I remember when they were little babies. I remember when they were they just giving my house. I remember when we, we used to play teapot. I don't... I, don't scratch that. Can we erase that from... Uh, I remember when they actually wanted to hang out with me. But think about this. What happens? They get older. And man, time just flies, does it not? But when you realize you have a limited amount of time on this earth, do you know what happens in your life? You start taking things a little more serious, don't you? I used to play football, and I was uh, part of the football team, and one day I was, I was uh, what's the word, rearranging my schedule without the school's approval, and I was going from one class and not going to that class, but I was going to the, the weight room with my coach, and man, I was driving up there, and I was driving up with John Lance, and he was sitting there, we were talking, and he's like, Canfield, how are we going to do this year? I was like, we're going to win state. Uh, we only won three games that year, but, um, but it, I really felt like we were going to do something. And uh, he said, what makes it different? And I was the end of my junior year. I was going into my senior year, and I looked at him and I said, Coach, this is, this is it. This is our last year. I realized I had one more year. And if I had one more year, I had to get really serious about it. How do you become a more committed person? You know how you become a really committed person? Teenager, you know how you become a committed person? 
you only get to be a teenager once in your life. You know that? You only get to influence the kids in your school that you go to school with or wherever you're at, the kids in your neighborhood, the kids around in this, 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 this community. You only get one opportunity. Does that make sense? You guys follow me? You only get one opportunity in the, in the decisions that you make. And, and when you start realizing that, that, that God hasn't promised tomorrow, He says sufficient is the evil is the day thereof. You're not really promised tomorrow. All you get is today. And when you start realizing and understanding time, man, that's when you say, man, I just got to start taking this thing a little more serious. I got to get a little more committed, right? I got I to gotta figure out what, what God has put me here for. What is my goal? What is my mission in life? Man, man, and when you figure that out, man, you start living a more committed life. You know what a lot of people think? They think they have their entire futures ahead of them. Do you not see what's going on around the world? Do you not see what's happening? I am just looking constantly, waiting and yearning and saying, God, when are you coming back? God, when are you coming back? How much more longer, how much more long suffering are you going to have? And I don't know how much more time we have. But I do know this. What time I do have, I want to be committed to serve His purpose. Does that make sense, church? I want to live a life on mission. And if I'm going to live a life on mission, it takes, it takes commitment. But not only does it take commitment, get this, it takes you knowing a task. It takes you knowing your task. Jesus understood His task. Look what He says in, in Luke chapter 9, verses 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that He, that means Jesus, should be received up. What was Jesus' task? What was the next job? What was the next thing before him? It was, he's, hey, it's Calvary. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I know my task. Look what, this, look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 56. For the Son of Man is, is, is not come to destroy men's lives, but to what? Save men's lives. How do you become a more committed person? It's you understanding your time and you understanding your task. Church member, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a personal question? Why did God put you here? What task has God given you? If it's a Sunday school class, are you taking it serious? If it's you out there uh, 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 getting the bulletins together, maybe, maybe, maybe it's, it's the job God's put you in. Maybe you have a bunch of lost co-workers around you that God wants to use to see them brought to church so they can hear the gospel and they can make a decision for Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Do you realize what task you've been given do you realize the time? When you realize the time and the task, get this, you start becoming a more committed Christian. But not only is it you understand the time and the task, but get this. Do you have a clear target? You know what's so sad to see in churches, and it's not this church, but churches all around America? They don't understand the target. They don't understand why God left them here. Why did God leave us here? I believe wholeheartedly, as well as I think you guys do, is this. He wants His glory and His fame proclaimed around the world. And He says, guess what? I'm going to build a church, and I'm going to gift people with different gifts and talents. And guess what? You guys get the opportunity to go proclaim how great I am. But you have to have that clear target. Sometimes people think, man, I'm here just so I can live a sanctified and holy life. Is that it? Well, we do need to live a sanctified and holy life. But Jesus, He realized where He was going in life. He realized that the end was Jerusalem. And where was the end at in Jerusalem? It was at a, at a mount called Calvary. It was Golgotha, right? On, on a cross where He would be lifted up. He had a clear 
target. That's why in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says this, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? Because he came to save men's lives. The target was clear. He knew his task. And get this, he understood the time. Therefore, he was a committed person. And he was a man on a mission. Church, do you understand that in your life? Do you understand time is limited? Do you know your task? Do you have a clear target? If you don't have a target, you'll miss. Do you have an an idea where you're going? Jesus did. How about us? It takes commitment. The second thing in this passage I see is this. Get this. It takes a community. It takes a community. Look what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 52. And sent messengers before his face. And they went and they entered into a village of the Samaritans to make him ready. In this life of Jesus, he was a really committed, committed fella. He was committed. I mean, not only committed, but get this. Jesus was always enlisting people to help. If you're going to live a life on mission, we don't get to be lone wolves in this job. You guys get that? I've got a mission. I want to take the gospel to rural parts. I want us going to Africa. Man, God opened the door when I were in Peru. Man, I just, we got a mission. We're, we're, we're trying to follow God to get the gospel out where the unreached are. Can I do that by myself? Absolutely not. I need other people to get behind me, right? We need to be able to work together in this. It takes a community. And it's the same thing for here in Thomasville, right? How in the world are we going to reach Thomasville for Jesus Christ? Is it just going to be Pastor Jacobs alone? Is it going to be the pastor staff, Brother Bill back there? Brother Parker? Is it just are these guys that are, that are getting paid staff or the, these guys that are surrendering their times? Is it just a, a selected few or is it an entire group, an entire body? I would say it takes an entire body. It takes a community. It takes a community and a community that understands some things. This is the one thing. They have to, they have to understand that there must be one team leader. Who do you think the team leader is? Jesus Christ. Look what it says in these scriptures. Jesus returned in power and the spirit of Galilee, and there went out a fame of who? Of him. Do you realize we already have a team leader for this church? You realize there's a head of this church, right? You know what his name is? Jesus Christ. He bought this church with his own blood. Do you realize that today? Do you realize He's already given us our marching orders? Do you know that, right? Do you understand that? He put it in the book. He's given us what He wants and what He expects out of us. Do you realize that today? It's about His fame. It's about His fame and His fame going out abroad everywhere. And the fame went out in every place around the country. We only have one team leader, but there was much more. There went out fame abroad of Him. Great multitudes came together to hear about Him. It's about Jesus' fame. It's about having one team leader. It's about one person. And guess what? I'm trying to keep this quick because i got a, I got a time limit. But guess what? There's a one team leader. And you know what we all get to be? The rest of us are just a bunch of toilers and laborers. Jesus was going to Jerusalem. He was committed, right? He looked at His disciples and He said, Okay, I'm going to send you. You go out into these villages. Hey, I need you to go out to the Samaritans. I want you to go talk to him. 
Get them ready. Get them ready for me. They knew who it was about. His disciples knew who it was about. And so the disciples were given jobs. And guess what? They were supposed to obey the Master. Can I ask you a question? Do you realize that we're just a bunch of laborers? Do you realize that today? It's not about us. And it's not about me. And it's not about my wants. You know what I am? I'm the grunt. I'm the cog in the machine. I'm replaceable. I am to do whatever He wants me to do. And when He's done with me, guess what? He'll replace me. Do you realize that today? We get to be used of God. What greater satisfaction out there is that? God will use us. And we get to do something right now for Him. That's awesome. I don't know about you. I, I told you, my high school career, we won three games, Brother Mike. We won three games my senior year. I've never really been, been on, a, on a winning team. Guess what? I get to be on a winning team now. It's awesome. I get to work for them. And I get to labor for them. Just like those disciples. And if you're going to live a life on mission, get this, it takes commitment and it takes community. We were in Burkina Faso. I took a group of men from my church. Man, we're out there in the middle of nowhere. We're literally in, in this desert. We're in the Sahara Desert. It smells funny. It's so weird. The women are like cooking and they're taking rocks and they're crashing things. And you're like, uh-oh, that just went in a pot. Uh-oh, uh-oh, they're making a big pot. And, and they're looking at us while they're cooking and they're like, we're like, oh my goodness, they're going to cook that for us. Oh, this is getting kind of... But we're in the middle of nowhere. And, and, and you know what? Man, I have a guy, uh, uh, some men that I took with me that are from my church. And one man was just, a, he was just an electrician. And we're there and our hearts are overwhelmed to seeing by the need. And this electrician stands up and he says, I got an idea. And I look at him and say, what up? He says, we can make a radio transmitter that goes out and hits this entire village. And I'm like, do tell. Come on, talk a little bit more, okay? And he says, well, there's things called a low-frequency radio transmitter, and we can connect it to a Raspberry Pi, and we can connect it through solar power panels. And I'm like, okay, this guy's got an idea. He's got a dream. All right, we're on the same link. And then we look over to the next guy, and he says, hey, you're the computer programmer. You can pro program that. Hey, and then God brought another man around, and then, and then he was like 20 years uh, retired from the Navy, and he worked in telecommunications, and he was fabricating things together. And I'm looking, and I'm seeing, and I'm seeing as God works, and all of a sudden I see, man, it's not just about me as being the only laborer. You know what God does? He gifts His family, He gifts His body with talents, time, and treasure. And He says, okay guys, I want you to use those times, talents, and treasures, and I want you to use it for me, and you're set out on a mission. And man, God gets us in communities, and we look back and we're like, there's no way I could have done this by myself. God gives us a community to help see His gospel and His fame go forward. You might say, hey, I'm not the preacher that stands in front of people and yells at people and, man, spits on people. Well, maybe you're not like that. You're like, well, I'm not the great singer like the Jacobs. Well, maybe you're not like that. I don't know what God has gifted you in. I don't know what God has given you. But I do know this. God has no, and I'm not trying to be rude or crude, but God has no spiritually handicapped children. He has gifted you all. And He is expecting you to use your talents for His glory. And if we're going to live a life on mission, it can't just be, okay, we're going to send the missionaries out. There's got to be people back home that are caring about it, right? 
There's got to be churches back here that are thinking about it, right? We've got to get this thing, we've got to start taking this thing serious. It takes a community. And it's realizing this. We have one team leader. We're just the toilers and laborers. And get this. Not only are we just toilers and laborers, i got a whole bunch of verses. We've got to have some temperance and lowliness of mind if we're going to see this thing come to fruition. It takes a special person to be able to be barked at with orders and that person to follow through. Does it not? Can I ask you a question? Have you ever just stayed up and thought about, man, God, why did you allow me to hear the gospel? Can I ask a question? Would you, and it, would, you, would, you, would you respond, please? How many people in this room have heard the gospel more than once? Raise your hand. How many people here have heard the gospel more than ten times? Raise your hand. How many people here have heard the gospel more than a hundred? Raise your hand. Can I ask you a serious question? Why do you, why did God permit you to hear His message, His salvation message so much when there's people around the world that's never even heard it once? You ever think about that? That's temperance. That's lowliness of mind, is it not? Why in the world would God allow me to hear the gospel from the time I was born till I was 13 and to, make it accept, to accept His gospel when there's other people around the world that's not even heard it once? Don't think so highly of yourself. Why don't you take on that, that form that Jesus had who was equal with God but made himself of no reputation. Why don't you get busy in the community of God that God's put you? And we don't need any more chiefs. You get that? We just need a lot of Indians. We need a lot more toilers and laborers. You know what I'm saying? Jesus wasn't looking for James and John to go and say, hey, hey, Jesus, we need you to do this for us. Hey, Jesus, hey, 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 it would be better if you did it this way. No, 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 no. We don't need that. We need people to say, hey, I'm here to help. I want to live my life on mission. I want my life to count. I'm committed. Hey, 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 I'm working with this group together. It's not me being a solo lobo. I'm not being a lone wolf. Hey, I want to work to get your gospel and your fame spread abroad. It takes a community of people that say, I will work and I will think of myself less. Church, can I ask you a question real quick? Are you one of those laborers? Can I go another step forward? Are you praying for more laborers? Remember the story of Hannah? She didn't have a kid, right? I think it was 1 Samuel, right? Am I getting this right? You guys correct me if I'm wrong. She couldn't have a kid, right? She saw the, the other wife that her husband was married to, and man, 
that, that, that woman was so cruel and mean that she caused her to have so much sorrow in her heart that she stopped eating. It's never been that bad for me. She stopped eating. So what did she do? You guys remember the story? She went out and she fell on her face right there at the temple, right? Or the tabernacle. Or she went up to Shiloh, right? And what was she doing? Praying. And how was she praying? Like, hey, God, I don't know if you really want this or not, but I would really like to have a kid, and I just think that would be really great if you gave me a kid. Amen. What did she do? She was wailing and crying so much that the man of God thought she was drunk. And what did she want with all of her heart? A child, right? I wonder if God's people would get so emotionally involved that they would just sit down and they get down on this altar or maybe they get down at their house and start wailing and crying and say, God, we want more laborers sent out into your harvest. Maybe the reason why God hasn't given us laborers is because we haven't prayed for it. Or maybe our prayers are kind of amiss. We're just doing it to check something off. Maybe we're not really meaning it in our heart. I don't know what it is. But when's the last time we asked for more, for more people to be added in the community to see his mission see fulfilled, right? Isn't that what we're hearing? It's time to get busy. How are we going to reach and how are we going to live a life on mission? It takes a community. It takes a community. It takes commitment. Third thing, get this third thing. I'm trying to cook it. It takes constant course correction. See, I'm alliterating it for you. I don't normally do this, but I'm doing it for you. It takes constant course correction. Look what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 55. But he turned and what? Rebuked them. And he said, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. Something was going on with these disciples as Jesus was going on fulfilling his mission, right? They get to this village in Samaritan, and the Samaritans knew that Jesus was going to Jerusalem, and those Samaritans didn't like it because Jesus' face was set as though he was going to Jerusalem. And when Jesus' disciples came up to this village, the people are saying, you're not welcome here. And so what did that cause in his disciples' heart and spirit? I don't know, maybe frustration, anger. All I know is what they confessed. They went over to Jesus and said, Jesus, we are asking for you to grant us power so that we might send fire and burn those people up. I think there was a troubling spirit. Do you think they had a troubling spirit? Jesus says, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. There was something going on in His disciples' hearts that Jesus didn't like. Can I tell you something, church? There's something going on in this world right now that are troubling today's churches. This is what I put down. I believe that some churches and some believers have allowed hatred to enter their heart and they no longer care about the world's souls. I know I have. 
You want to talk about a place I don't like going? Go to an Islamic country. I believe that some churches and some believers have allowed indifference into their heart so that they no longer care about the world's souls. It's not that they hate them. They just, I don't care. It doesn't affect me in my life right now, right? Right? Hey, 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 they're over there. They got to worry about their own countries. We got to worry about our country here, right? It's indifference. Not only that, but get this, I think some churches and some believers have allowed self-interest to enter their hearts and they no longer care about the world's soul. They are so consumed about their own priorities and their own programs and their own, own stuff, whether it's their job, their money, their finances, whatever it is, they're so consumed about self-interest that they have allowed a troubling spirit to enter their heart. Is it possible... Is it possible for me as a born-again believer to have a spirit that Jesus doesn't commend? Is it possible for me to allow my heart and my spirit to so far drift that I'm no longer on mission with Jesus? I would say absolutely. Because when Jesus was here on this earth, His disciples had a troubling spirit. But what did they need? They needed course correction. And where do you get it? You get it by, get this, you get it by knowing. He said this in Luke chapter 9, verse 54. Or Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, I'm so sorry, and verse, I'm so sorry, verse number 55. But he turned and rebuked and he said, Ye know not. What was the disciples' problem? It was they didn't know. They didn't know. And what was that that they didn't know? They didn't know, get this, they didn't know what God had put in their heart. They didn't know what spirit or what attitude they were supposed to have. Now I have a question. Do you have love enough to reach the whole world? Do you have love for the world? You know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5? That God hath put his love, the love of God, has been shed abroad in whose hearts? Our hearts. That's what the scripture says. Look it up. Romans 5.5. 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. What did the love of God cause God to do? For God so loved the that he what? Did you know that? We know that, right? We know God loves the world so much, right? But do you know his love now resides in our heart? And I can love everybody. And I should be concerned about it, right? I need to change the way of my thinking. How do we change this, this, this course correction? How do we get that? Well, it takes teachability and tenderness. And I don't have much time for that, but we'll get the, the fourth and final thing is this. I'll close with this. It takes commitment. It takes community. Not only does it take community, it takes constant course correction. Fourth thing is this. It takes continuance. Verse 56. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And guess what Jesus did? And His disciples. They went to another village. They went to another village. I was in Kenya back in 2013. 
And I saw this big, round missionary. Kind of looked like the Monopoly man. He's a really cool guy. He's been in Kenya since 1978. I was in his house. Whenever I took a shower, there was no warm water. But I did it anyways. And I didn't complain. And then his wife came out and she goes, Oh, I'm so sorry there was no warm water. I forgot to put the, the, the wood in the stove so you would have warm water. So why do I tell you that? Because they didn't live in the most comfortable of places there in Kenya, East Africa. But you know what I saw that guy do? That guy moved there in 1978. He saw some people saved. They went out and started to work. Saw God work and move and plant a church. There was a man there that already was there that was pastoring. And then they trained another guy. Gets this. By 2019... He had already started 500 churches. The Lord used them pretty greatly. On any given Sunday, there was over 75,000 people that were worshiping the Lord there. I went to one of their Bible college graduations. And as I stood up there, this really stuck out to me. It wasn't the missionary that was saying it. Well, he actually did say it. But it was actually one of his national pastors that was there leading the church. And that big... African man stood up there and he began to yell at the people that were just graduating in like a, like a motivational football type way, okay? And he looked at those graduates and he says, guys, we got to worry about the next village. We got to worry about the next town. We got to go to the next town. And he kept yelling, we got to go to the next town. They got to go to the next village. We got to go to another village. Because he was concerned about his people getting the gospel. And he knew this. That if they were going to accomplish their mission, you know what you had to do? You have to keep going. Never quit. And never stop. Church, that's our call, is it not? That's what Jesus did. He just went to the next village. He was committed, right? He took a community together, right? To do the job, right? It didn't take a community to die for our sins, but he, took, he always used people, right? He a community, right? Get this, he was always checking himself and saying, what do I need to fix? What do I need this? It's almost like the psalmist says, teach me, Lord. Examine me, know my hearts, know my thoughts, know my prayers. Hey, see if there be any evil in me, Lord, and lead me and guide me in the way of right, right? Righteousness, I'm paraphrasing Psalms 139, right? But isn't that what we're supposed to do? Constantly looking, say, God, please change me. And do you know what? Sometimes we do mess up. But you know what we do when we mess up? We keep on going. And we don't quit. Because if we're going to live a life on mission, quitting is not an option. You know when we get to stop? When we get to see our Savior. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord God, I ask you to bless your people. Help us to live a life on mission. Help us to take it serious and let's be committed Let's work together in a community. Lord, let's constantly correct ourselves. And Lord, help us to continue on. In Jesus' name, for your glory, amen.